0: hello everyone welcome to the theotech podcast i'm your host chris Lim, and today i'm with my friend jessica pilsner jess is an educational technology coordinator at saint thomas school she is a graduate student in human-centered design and engineering at the university of washington and after starting a teaching career in the lutheran school system she's always been fascinated by how god uses everyone's unique gifts and careers to serve him she's currently the coordinator of seattle EdTech meetup, and she brings together the EdTech community in Seattle. But I'm interviewing her especially because Jess is the organizer for Code for the Kingdom Virtual Hackathon in 2021, coming up this March 19th, which we're going to include a link to the Eventbrite so you can register and share with any other people who have a vision for what the future of church could be like when we have the digital transformation that we're undergoing kind of complete. Jess, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Could you go ahead and share a little bit of your background with Code for the Kingdom, how you got connected to the movement, and how you got inspired to lead a hackathon?
1: Yeah, Code for the Kingdom was actually my first hackathon. I believe it was two years ago. And I had just embarked on a new journey of starting to study technology more directly. I'd come into technology through teaching and really getting into project-based learning and learning how technology could support that. And I became fascinated by usability and ended up deciding to actually study that directly. Code for the Kingdom came up, I think, somewhere on meetups. I'm like, wow, there are Christians who are getting together to use their gifts for Christ. I'm like, well, I don't know if I quite am there yet, but I think I have skills that I can contribute. So I dove in, even though I was just about to join my more tech-related design program, and it ended up being a wonderful experience where I learned a lot about a whole nother industry, about business, tech, a lot of different components, but also saw how as God guided me or is guiding me still through this new journey, that there's a lot of directions that he could take me.
0: Yeah, that's very exciting. Just for our listeners, could you describe again, project-based learning and usability? What do those things mean?
1: Yeah, project-based learning and education is that idea of kids learning through experience and projects. So rather than following a traditional, we're following the textbook, and we're going to do those associated worksheets. Instead, we're going to engage in a project. We're going to ask questions. That could be a project in Minecraft. It could be um, building things out of found materials. It's building and creating and exploring rather than just sitting and memorizing in a more traditional sense Mm -hmm. and technology allowed me as a teacher to have different projects going on. So it could be really targeted to, I have a group that loves writing and they can really express their history knowledge best through writing a fun narrative story. I have Mm -hmm. some artists in my class who can express their understanding of history, even better through art than they can through writing. So giving them that opportunity to do that. And that can be quite difficult to coordinate and technology makes that easier. But it still takes a lot of time to do that. And part of that has to do with the number of clicks and how technology is organized. And that would be that usability side of how do we make technology usable? So whatever the thing that needs to be done can get done quickly, efficiently in a way that both the teacher and the students understand how to do. So that would be that usability component.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. So it sounds like a little bit like learning by doing, is that called constructivist education theory or something like that? Pedagogy?
1: You know, there are a lot of different theories, and I definitely combine a lot, so I tend to not remember the exact boundaries of each one, (laughs) but I'm sure it's in that realm.
0: What I love about what you described is that it kind of fits this ethos, I think, of Even Code for the Kingdom and what we talk about in Theotech, where people have been gifted by God with unique talents, and instead of forcing them into a cookie-cutter mold, hoping to unleash their gifts in the ways that God has gifted them uniquely is is very aligned with what it sounds like you were describing in project-based learning.
1: Yeah, I've not made that connection that way, but I think you're definitely right. I know in my studying to be a teacher, I studied Lutheran education specifically. So we spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, how does my role as a teacher align, whether I'm teaching in a Christian school or not? How does that career match? How do I help my students see how their passions align to serve God? And now I'm in a place where, okay, God's changing my career up a little bit. Uh
0: Mm-hmm
1: how does God fit into that? And then acknowledging like, okay, I might be working towards a user experience role maybe, but also recognizing that I can see the places where God in my life has led me down very specific trails that he's infinitely more creative Mm. than I am. So while I'm very intentionally moving in a direction, gaining skills, I know that he's infinitely more creative than I am. So I'm just as excited for the next few years of my life. Uh To see what happens because i know he's gonna lead me down some pretty cool things bye can you share that my
0: story life. of that pivot from being a teacher to entering ed tech and and all that you're doing now how did god lead you yeah, in
1: that definitely and i definitely don't know if leading leaving teaching is part of the plan yet we'll see but actually i can take my god trail to teaching all the way back to high school mm. and that's when i started studying to be a teacher we had a program in my high school and we had to choose some colleges to do research on we had to pick a private school. I had a plan for myself where I was going to go to this local community college, save money, then go to the bigger campus. They had a good education program. And I picked a private school. I chose Concordia University, Wisconsin, because I'd heard of it at church. And my grandma lives in Wisconsin. <laughs> Started researching like, oh, you can get a Lutheran teaching degree. Huh, that's interesting. I like learning about God. That could be cool. Visited the school. I'm like, oh, you guys are actually doing forward thinking things. This is interesting. Interesting. So ended up going there. Not my plan at all. And then my plan was still to like, all right, I'm going to be a Christian teacher in a public school like I grew up in, be a light. Forgot to pray to God about that plan. It sounded great. <laughs> to not be to God, Turned down scholarship for Lutheran school teachers. That's how much I wasn't listening to God. Um, but ended up getting called in the Lutheran school system. You actually get called to schools Wow. Rather than like, go and apply. So that's the way pastors and teachers, because they're considered church workers in the Lutheran. I see. Yeah. So in college, both the project-based learning fascination, but also um, slightly a frustration with being in classrooms where teachers were not necessarily using technology effectively. I started meeting with teachers virtually online about things like augmented reality in Google Hangouts back in those days. Mm-hmm code.org was coming into existence and learning how that kind of brought together the teaching and technology. And so I got a call out to Seattle, Washington, ended up at Renton Prep, and they're a Microsoft showcase school. So they used a lot of technology. So I was integrating computer science into math, you know, teaching geometry with programming, and starting to blend all those pieces together and seeing tech. And that eventually led me Having different teams come in from Microsoft and other companies to see how the kids are using technology helped me start to see those connections. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting how God has played that in because technology was never a goal for me in education, but God kind of gave those step by step pieces that have led me here. And even starting to study human centered design was at a teaching event that I went to. I'm like, oh, my students would love this. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up realizing that it was a path God wanted me on.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about that Lutheran theology, that the teachers in schools are actually considered a called role? I'm curious, coming from just Presbyterian theology or just in general Reformed, believing that God is glorified in every vocation and that there's a a sacredness to it, a dignity to it. Does the Lutheran church also do that for other vocations, Mm -hmm. like being a software engineer or being an entrepreneur or a business owner? Um
1: Yeah, the vocation side is huge, that no matter what your vocation is, be that a career or mother, if you even go back to Martin Luther, he has a lot of quotes really highlighting that whatever the vocation is, that you live for God in that vocation, and that any vocation is just as good as another, whether that's a pastor, a mother, an engineer. But within the church, the history was for pastors and teachers, the idea was to completely put that calling in God's hands. So even pastors still for their first call, they actually go to um, a service and they're called to a location that they don't know before the service. It used to be the same for teachers, but it's adjusted slightly where we receive calls, interview, and accept to be interviewed. So Renton Church called me and I accepted that call. And the idea is to try to keep the focus on God I is see. really the intent of it. So even if you aren't a called worker, it's whenever we move into a new vocation that we're really focused in on God, that Mm -hmm. it's really God moving us in whatever vocation that we're being called to.
0: That's interesting. I just have a similar story where when I was in college, I had this dream of creating a startup. I was doing my master's degree in machine translation, and my professor was a serial entrepreneur. I asked him what he thought about these ideas that I had, and I remember... And I was trying to align it with the kingdom. I was saying, oh, yeah, machine translation can accelerate Bible translation. So we need to build a business that can help fund the researchers to do this kind of work. And I prayed a lot about it. But I remember the day that I talked to my professor after we had done our research project. And he just told me, Chris, I think this would require a lot more money to commercialize. And I think you also should be looking for a job. And I was just really disappointed. And I went to the job fair. And I remember feeling when I handed my resume to the first recruiter, my heart just sank. The dream was dying right before my eyes. And God sent me on a different path. And I remember when I got an offer from Amazon and everybody in my family was rejoicing. I was feeling guilty because I knew I should be thankful, but I was really not thankful at all. And it took my dad eventually to sit me down and be like, son, I think I get it. This dream you had was like your baby and it died and we're all celebrating. And that's why you feel so sad. And I had to mourn and that really helped me to mourn it. And then my resolve was, well, oh, Lord, okay. My ambition now is not to try to put my feet in two boats. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to serve you faithfully at Amazon for as long as you want me there. I'm not gonna try to keep my dream alive or whatever like that and had to come to terms with it. But now obviously I'm doing the TheoTech podcast. There's more to my story and this episode is not about me. But it's just been amazing kind of what you said, that God is the emphasis. God is the one who calls and we can be kind of stubborn, but God has his way with us, gets to us eventually, and then pulls us in ways that we don't expect.
1: Yeah, I definitely can align with that. God as a creator is what has been standing out to me. As I see some of the students that I've had that are older start to get into college and see where they head and just his immense creativity with our lives. I focused a little more on God's creativity, both in my life and in the people around me, considering how God's creatively worked me through these strands of education, technology, and faith, how they've all been so interconnected. And if I can sit down and I think about other people and mentors that I've known well, how God Um, pulls things that seem so not related but interweaves them in something so beautiful. And when we slow down and actually pray and think about them, we can start to see how those pieces come into play or reflect back because it's hard to see in that moment. That's me saying, no, I don't need the Lutheran teaching scholarship. I'm not going to teach in a Lutheran school. (laughs) Um, It is meaningful to stop reflect. And, you know, sometimes it might save you some money in your scholarships, you know. (laughs)
0: Yeah, sometimes God just provides. Like, Amazon really blessed me. Like, Theotech exists because Amazon stocks is like Elijah's Mm -hmm. oil. It's completely unexpected why the Lord takes us on those twists and turns we don't really get to see. But it's an adventure, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's definitely like learning to balance, work hard, and aim. Because God still calls us to aim, to work hard towards our goals while we pray. And with the understanding that what we think the goal is and what we're working to may be a little bit different. And it doesn't mean that goal was bad. It was meant that you needed to do that work to make you ready for something else that you couldn't have come up with on your own.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I really appreciate that perspective because I think that many people in our, I guess I'm a millennial. I don't know. I think that you're a millennial too. In our generation, we just, We really value purpose and doing things that are purposeful or meaningful in some way. And sometimes we can feel overwhelmed feeling like we have to have it all figured out pretty young. I have a friend who's so frustrated whenever people ask him, like, what's your passion? It's like, I hate that question. I hate that question. Because it's like, I don't know. And it's going to drive me crazy. But to realize because God is sovereign and directing our lives and all the days of our lives have been written in his book before one of them came to be, we can almost trust the author and live the adventure. That makes sense out of all the disparate parts that don't—they don't always add up. They don't make sense, especially in the moment when things are going against our plans. It's really helpful to have that perspective.
1: Adventures, adventure's adventures—a good word because there are things that come up and challenges. I know in my past few years, I've had family members with some significant health issues that I ended up having to be like a direct caretaker for, Mm. and that was such an experience for me. Uh, Not only did it teach me. God's amazing piece that surpasses understanding. I could talk about that for hours, but yeah. also it gave me a different level of empathy for parents who are caretakers that I didn't have before. And I think it's something that as someone without kids, I can be like, yeah, I'd understand what it's like to have kids and have that additional stress at home. And I still don't understand completely, but having been in that role and having that additional stressor, it's definitely given me a lot more empathy that i think has made me able to better serve others in my church and that I was see. not something i would have planned for myself one because it's challenging and two it's not something i think i thought i needed so mm-hmm. really being aware of how something crazy it does grow you in a new way and it allows you to serve in a different way and to think through things in a different way than i had in the past having not had the experience of being a caretaker for somebody
0: does that influence your design thinking and usability because i think the elderly and people who need mm-hmm. a special care can often be overlooked in technology design and i'm really curious from a theology of design perspective how that experience and empathy has even informed the way that you design stuff
1: mm, that's a good question i guess it's interesting because a lot of that experience happened at the same time I began pursuing design specifically. I think it helped me better balance and consider what's most important. Hmm. And that factors design. Being really focused on what is the goal? And how are we achieving it? And does it support all of the users that we need? I'm trying to connect how that's related. So if you have a firm goal that everybody understands, you you not only design better, but you do it in a way that's almost quicker, quicker in one way, because you're not throwing something up, seeing what Mm -hmm. happens and then redesigning it. But you get there a little more quickly because everybody's rowing in the same direction. And I think rowing the same direction is really important if you want to reach those who get forgotten. Because if you're so focused in this person's going this way, that person's going that way, um, you can't focus on the fullness of the users you need to because you're talking at different goals.
0: Oh, I see. So this unified goal is something that applies to all users, whether they're young or old or have a disability or an ability. But when the goals are not clear, you're saying that's actually what muddies the design and ends up kind of leaving off people who may not have as much access to technology. Is that is that accurate or are you saying something else?
1: Um, yeah, I think that's a really good description of a very murky description. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when we're rowing in the same direction, we can do better. It's when we have division or we're aiming at different goals that either we overemphasize one thing or miss another. But if we're moving in the same direction, we have more energy, we have more capacity.
0: How's that goal negotiated or decided in a design team? It seems like what happens is that, I don't know, I'm talking tech now, but, you know, we can have a lot of guys who think that they're very smart, big egos, and then it's really hard because of that to get into the same direction, the same goal and row together. How does that get resolved?
1: I think establishing those foundational goals right at the beginning and if you start moving away readdressing them I mean it's controversial but some people use personas to help bring that mm. back or even just there's a name for this but setting your goals for the design if we're all in agreement on these from the beginning we can say hey that's moving away from this piece and it sounds simple but it's really hard It's Uh hard to create those goals and agree on them. And it's hard to hold each other to them as well. But in education, there is cognitive load. So we can only hold so much load at the same time. If Uh we're having to hold the load of trying to figure out what everybody's thinking, their different goals, moving other ways, then our capacity is limited. But if we're rowing in the same direction, it increases our capacity so Uh that we can be more aware of those other components.
0: This is fascinating for me. And I think that it ties into so many other questions that I have, one of them having to do with Code for the Kingdom, but the other one just having to do with ed tech. And so maybe let's talk ed tech a little bit first. What's something that's really interesting that you're seeing happening in the ed tech space that you think would apply equally well in the church space? Because church does a lot of education and preaching and teaching and uh, teaching children. Are you seeing innovations in the ed tech space that you feel like, oh, this really needs to be adopted by churches?
1: I don't know if it's technically a trend, but it's something I noticed. Oftentimes, people try to design with, all right, I'm going to design a game for education. Okay. And they miss and don't honor what makes a game a game, what makes people love games
0: mm. and those
1: game design principles. They miss that component. The same thing can happen for just a general design, such as a learning management system. Within industry, We have a lot developed, we've done a lot of usability research in industry that can apply into education, but it's not always used. So I think the same in technology for church, not thinking about, okay, what is something related that's used in more of a secular space? Why does it work there? What components of that will also work here rather than trying to build out a whole new usability heuristics just for the church? because Mm -hmm. we do have the same people, the same components. So using our past history, our past creation, design heuristics, how do those also apply here? Because we can get stuck, like, I think learning management systems, which are like what grades, um, students turn in assignments, those types of systems, if you look at all of them, they are almost all exactly the same. And teachers hate them, students hate them, parents hate them. <laughs> it's because COVID, of the homework,
0: right? Everybody hates homework and everybody hates grading. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> well, if you talk with parents, like especially with COVID, because we've gotten a lot more, they've had to be used. Parents don't understand how to find the assignments, let alone the kids. But nobody's actually said, okay, let's sit down. Let's kind of push this to the side. Let's redesign something that actually fits. What is working in industry that's kind of similar to this? Uh-huh. that we can use as a starting ground rather than what was decided however many years ago to create learning management systems uh-huh. of really reflecting and not getting stuck in the same wheelhouse. Like that's what happens in ed tech is there are so many math games that nobody uses and they're exactly the same. Oh. And the reason they don't work is usually the same. Either the kids aren't actually doing math or they aren't fun. They don't follow game design. uh uh-huh. It's so the same in some of the tools that we use in the church, making sure that we're not following in, falling into that same trap of oh, well, this is how it's always been designed before. This is what it looks like to design for the church. Like this is the church template.
0: I see. We don't
1: have to follow that.
0: I think it's scary maybe because church oftentimes is built on tradition. Culturally speaking, it's scary to let go of those traditions or to know which traditions to keep and which ones to mm-hmm. drop and change in new times like COVID where the old ones don't make sense anymore, but we get to create new ones. And Mm -hmm. I think that what you described earlier about students and seeing their creative potential is a big part of that. Because when you are so inspired by what God is doing in people's lives and how God's gifting them, you kind of want them to be creative. You want them to invent new traditions and new ideas, new ways of doing things, rather than having to hold on to just the way things have always been done.
1: Yeah, I think honoring tradition is still important. So being aware of that, too. What you said reminded me of an interesting story. When my church first put up big screens to put the words up, mm. that was a controversial decision. Wow. And, you know, our more experienced members were like, we don't want these big TVs in our church. But it actually ended up being that those members with poor eyesight actually loved having the TVs there because it was easier to see. Mm-hmm. And it became a staple that everyone appreciated. And it's just a change and it's different. I think that's one of the advantages that tech has, I guess, in something as challenging as COVID-19 has been on churches, uh-huh. that it has forced some changes, some good, some not so good, uh-huh. but paying attention to what has worked so that it can be developed into something that is strong as we work out of pandemic times. Uh-huh. to keep growing community.
0: It takes so much experimentation, even hearing your story about your church, because people might have the connotation that TV is where you get entertained. And so to bring that into a building that's a sanctuary or something could feel profane. But then the moment that a different narrative is put around it, like accessibility, giving vision, you know, people with vision impairment access, it makes sense. All of a sudden, the story is what makes sense out of it is not for entertainment. It's for access. And it fits within the purpose of that space.
1: Yeah. I think something that we as technologists always have to remember also, though, is that it it does feel personal, especially when you have faith tied to it, Hmm. that we really have to be aware when we are making changes in the church, that we really have thoroughly thought, researched, reached out to people, mentors, people more experienced than us, because when things are changing, there is a level of, I don't know if pain is the right word, but when there's change and something's personalized as your faith. There are growing pains, maybe that's the right word. Mm. There are growing pains and to have the empathy for that. We all experience that when something changes. I can think of um, our students, Microsoft OneNote, it changed from having all of its tabs at the top to the side and had some other changes. And when that change happened, even our students you would expect be like, oh yeah, we don't mind, we can roll through changes. They're like, no, we are not (laughs) using this new OneNote app. We like the old one because we've been using it for three years. We don't want it. (laughs) And I think it's a reminder that we all have a little bit of that and to still be aware of that when we are making changes, that it's important to honor tradition, respect tradition and understand growing pains, that they're going to be there and be able to work on navigating that. Mm-hmm.
0: Tying it back kind of full circle to even our stories and how God changed our paths and stuff like that. There was for me an element of grief, of grieving a dream that was lost, a goal that I was pursuing that was lost. and this is a crazy connection here, but I see now how, theologically speaking, even in design and in our software, you know, in tech, we emphasize fast iteration so much, which constantly changing things to try to maximize and optimize. But there's no space in that for grief, to realize that, wait, these features that we built, users did use them. They loved them, they liked them, and we can kind of grieve the fact that we're retiring them, and then embrace the new thing that we're releasing. But there's something human about that, that we could add to our software design process. I don't know what that would look like, but that also creates that connection to other users. Like you're saying where it has a respect for tradition while making space for innovation and experimentation, because it honors the fact that the past ways we did things were valuable in their time. That concept is interesting.
1: I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I see in hackathon projects is when we establish and pitch our ideas and our goals, How do we pitch problems and solutions that follow that? It's really easy to be excited about something or like, I want to use VR in the classroom, not a code Uh for the kingdom. A lot of times I see that one in um, education hackathons and it's really exciting, but VR is a very new technology. It's something that I'm passionate about and study a lot, but it does have a lot of limitations still. So you have to be really careful as you navigate ideas. If we can balance honoring past and tradition while also moving forward, thinking about new design research, what's working in other spaces that could be related of learning how to navigate both of those together. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge, but something worth thinking about.
0: Yeah, it's a fundamental challenge, but it's excellent to be able to talk about this even from a Christian perspective too. Uh, I think is really, really interesting. So Jess, just to wrap up our episode, you mentioned hackathons. Maybe you can make a pitch. Why should people come to Code for the Kingdom virtual hackathon this year?
1: All right. So my one-minute pitch. So first, I'll go on a list because I'm a teacher and I like things in order. The biggest reason is God's given you gifts to explore, to learn, to grow, Code for the Kingdom is going to be a space for you to do that with others. So work on your current gifts, share your other gifts, but maybe even pick up a few other skills that God is looking for you to gain. Second one is just to work with and connect with others in faith. There's something really powerful about coming together and serving God. God's given us different insights at different times in our lives. When we come together, we can really speak his word into each other. So that side as well. And I think, how can we better connect the church with our technologists, designers, entrepreneurs, so that we can see how we can really utilize the skills of all the members of our churches to glorify God's kingdom in your community and overall the global community and share who he is. So come be a part. It'll be fun.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Jess. And we're going to include the link in the description. You can search Eventbrite for Code for the Kingdom. There's also a Facebook event, Code for the Kingdom of Seattle, and Theotech is really happy to be a sponsor. I think Basil Tech is a sponsor, so is Pushpay and Faith Life so far. So we're really encouraged that even amidst this you know, pandemic time, there's these organizations and people like Jess, you have an amazing team that you've pulled together who believe in bringing together Christians and technology and business and the church to use their gifts to build up the kingdom. So really looking forward to that. Everyone else, look forward to hearing from you and seeing you there. We're going to have a opportunity to pitch your ideas and prizes as well. Is there any other kind of benefit that we should need to call out?
1: I think the last thing I want to highlight is that we are not using a traditional Zoom mode, just because I know that would prevent me from joining, that we are using a platform called Remo. So you actually will have tables where you can get around and talk with more people than just your group. So you will get to meet people. And I'm really excited to jump around to a bunch of tables as you're working to talk with you as well.
0: Awesome. That's going to be fun. All right. Well, thank you, Jess. And uh, thanks for leading up Code for the Kingdom this year. To all of the listeners, I want to thank you for listening and our patrons for making this episode possible. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so at patreon.com slash Theotech. And with that, I'll see you next time.